0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Jesper Baptist Church. We're continuing through the book of 1 Peter this morning. And our scripture is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. We're going to hit on a couple of different topics this morning. But I would say that the title of the message is How to Prepare for the Imminent Coming of Christ. Please enjoy. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning uh, almost through the book of 1st Peter been working on it for a couple months and uh, turn me down just a little bit brother Marcus I'm a little loud behind me 1st Peter chapter 4 almost through this got chapter and a half left it looks like but uh, I've enjoyed going through this book in the Bible and uh, I hope you have too and if you have your places, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to begin reading in verse number 6 of 1 Peter chapter 4. And read just down to verse 9. For this cause was, uh, for, this, for, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for the opportunity to worship in your house. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us this morning, open up our hearts to receive the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning, I'm going to call it, How to Prepare for His Coming. How to Prepare for His Coming. Um, You know, I talk about work a lot, you know, that that's where i live at is at work and so i draw a lot of personal experience from that and but you know i like to think that i run a clean ship at work i like to think that you know we 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 keep the inventory straight for the most part and we keep things clean and we keep Uh, doing the procedures that we're supposed to do. And for the most part, I think, man, you know, things are going really well. Things are the way they're supposed to be. And then every once in a while, I get a phone call from the owner. And the owner says, I'll be there in two days. And all of a sudden, I look around and things aren't really how they're supposed to be. You know, we, we get into these routines. And we think everything's fine, but hey, when the boss is going to show up, man, we clean a little harder. When the boss is going to show up, the inventory is a little bit more accurate. When the boss is going to show up, the procedures are adhered to a little more closely, you know. And uh, that's the way it should be, and that's the way we should live our lives. We should live our lives every day like the boss is coming today. Okay, well, The boss is coming today, and that's how we should, we should live our lives. And so we're going to go through these verses, and we're going to just go through this, this verse by verse, and these, these four verses, and we'll talk about this and uh, introduce this in uh, today's message. So let's just, let's just go through these messages, and what Jesus is going to do, it, it, look, Jesus is coming back, and Peter is telling us how to act for his coming. So let's read verse 6 this morning. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So this verse actually calls back to something that Peter alluded to in the last chapter. Now, once again, if you missed when I talked about this a couple weeks ago, I'll give you a quick overview of it. And we know from various scriptures in the Bible that when Jesus died on the cross, he went to the heart of the earth. That's what the Bible says. We know that he went to a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Okay, we know that. uh, You know, that's what he said. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's what he said. And we know that beside paradise is hell. Hell and paradise are separated by a great gulf. We also, we know this from Luke 16. The lost go to this place called hell. That's where they go. The Old Testament saints, they went to this holding place called paradise. That's where they went. The reason for this is because Jesus had not died yet. The blood had not yet been applied, so they could not go to heaven and be with God. Everybody in the Old Testament that died went down. The, 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 the lost, they went down. The Old Testament saints, they went down to Sheol. Sheol was this holding place that had paradise and hell in this gulf. This was in the center of the earth. We know this. The reason why they went to this place called paradise was because Even though Jesus hadn't died yet, their faith had counted them for righteousness. They were saved. They couldn't go to hell. So it was the only place that they could go. Their faith was counted unto them for righteousness, so they went to paradise. Now, back in chapter 3, we learned that Jesus, when he died from the cross, he actually went down here and he started preaching. Now, in chapter 3, he was preaching to the people over in hell. And you say, what in the world, what good would it do to preach to the people over in hell? He was preaching a message of condemnation. The Bible says in 1 Peter three nineteen, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Okay, he's down there preaching. The people over in hell heard him preach. We know from Luke 16, people in hell can hear people over in paradise talking. So they heard Jesus preach, and to them was a message of condemnation. But now we get here. In chapter 4, he continues to tell us what he did while he was down there. For this cause the gospel was preached unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. What's he doing here? Here, he's preaching to the Old Testament saints. He's preaching to the Old Testament saints, and he's preaching a message of redemption. Now look, let let me clarify this. I'm not saying that this is... A lot A lot of people that preach the doctrine of paradise, they actually preach here that this is where the Old Testament saints got saved. But that isn't so. That isn't so. I, the, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't hold to that. They were already saved or else they'd be in hell. They were already saved or else they would be in hell. And uh, this isn't where the Old Testament saints got saved, you know, there is no salvation after death. You have as long as you have on this earth. You have, uh, like, like Brother Larry told you at the funeral, he said there's two dates on your tombstone, from this date and this date, and those are two dates. In between those two dates, that's the time you have. Once you pass your point of time, that's it. You cannot get saved after that. Yes, he's preaching redemption, he's preaching the cross, he's preaching the blood, he's preaching the grave, he's preaching the resurrection to them, but to me, it's the equivalent of catching them up. Here's what you missed. Now, if, if if, and, he said, and now I'm going to go apply the blood, and after I apply the blood, then you can enter heaven. Then you can go be with God the Father. Now, I don't mind somebody using the phrase, oh, this is where their salvation is complete. They completed their salvation. If you want to use that phrasing, that's fine. Uh, but don't say this is when the Old Testament saints got saved. This isn't where they, they were already saved or they'd be in hell. Jesus promised us, all through Scripture, He promised us that He would lead captivity captive. Psalm 68, 18. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. That was repeated in Ephesians 4, 8. Wherefore He saith, when He ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now, I think that those have double meanings. He, 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 uh, we were captive by sin. He released us from that. But, you know, when he asc- it also talks about when he ascended, he brought captivity with him. You know, and that is a picture of the Old Testament saints. Now, let's look at the rest of this verse. It says that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. You know what that means? That means that these faithful Old Testament saints who were faithful and who, their faith was counted unto them for righteousness, they were judged by men on the earth. They may even be killed by men on the earth. They may even be martyred by men on the earth. But now they're going to live forever. Now they're in heaven. Now we're going to live forever. Let's read verse number seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now this is where we get into this thing about Jesus' return. People back in, in this day They believed that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. There's a very good possibility the apostles thought that Jesus was going to come back within their own lifetime. And that's fine. They were commanded to believe that. They were commanded to believe that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. Man, if we really believe that that we live in the last days, if we really believe that me and you live in the last days, how vital is prayer to us? How vital is prayer to someone who believes that? I want to look real quick about what Jesus said about his coming. And let me read for you Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. First it says, don't be fooled. There's going to be many people coming. They're going to show up. They're going to pretend to be me. Verse 6. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Does that sound familiar? Wars. Rumors of wars. Who in their Facebook a few weeks ago? They saw all the stuff about World War Three, all the World War Three memes, because they killed old Soleimani. You know this, this the you know wars, rumors of wars. Verse seven: For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. And all of these are the beginning of sorrows. That sounds like us, don't it? That sounds like us. Wars, rumors of war, wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. That sounds like us. You know what else? It sounded like them too. They had wars and rumors of wars. and The people back in Peter's day, they had famines and pestilences and, 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 and earthquakes. So the fact is, we really don't know when he's coming back. We really don't. But we need to be ready all the time. Since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christians are waiting his return. We are awaiting the return of Christ. But I want to tell you this morning, his return is imminent. It is imminent, but it is not immediate. Let me explain. Let me explain that statement. Who in here remembers a, a preacher by the name of Harold Camping? Anybody ever heard of Harold Camping? Harold Camping, he he put on billboards that the rapture was coming way back in September 6, 1944. Jesus is coming back. Well, September 6 happened, and Jesus didn't come back. And then he changed the date to October 2nd. And then he said, oh, uh, uh, in October 2nd, 2005, Jesus is going to come back, and Jesus didn't come back. And his final date that he, that he proposed was May 21st, 2011. Now, this is the date I remember. I remember this date because, man, it, it, it took the nation by storm. It went all over the nation. Billboards were being taken out all over the world, all over the world, that, that Jesus was going to come back on, on, on October 2nd, 2011. And, uh, you know, th- th- this is what I remember now of course we know that he was wrong in that. We know he's wrong. Why? Why do we know he's wrong? No, no man, no man can know. No man knows the date that he's coming back. But you know what it did? It gave the world an opportunity to mock us. Because you know what they had rapture parties, big drinking rapture parties, where you know they would you know, and people would openly mock the rapture. We are to live like it is imminent, not immediate. You know what imminent means? Imminent means it's hanging over us. It's right over us. It's it's hanging over us, but we're not supposed to have anxiety over it. We're supposed to be ready, but we're not supposed to worry about it. We're supposed to prepare for it. He said back in verse 6, he says, and these are your, your wars and rumors of wars. He said, See that ye be not troubled. He doesn't want us to worry about the end of the world. He doesn't want us to have anxiety about the end of the world. Some people just get so bent out of shape about the end of the world. They just go bent out of shape about it. If, Je- if the end of the world means Jesus is coming back, let him come. Yeah. Even so, Lord, come quickly. You know, they got this big thing. I got this one family member. Oh. We all do. I got that one family member. You know what he's all about? Climate change. Climate change. Oh, we're going we're gonna to destroy the earth, and our kids aren't going to have anything. And let me give you my opinion on, on climate change. Okay? Let me give you my opinion. This isn't Bible. This is Brett Martin. Okay. You might have a different opinion than this, but, 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 but that's fine. Here's my opinion on climate change. Is the climate changing? I believe it is. You can't look at the winter we just had and not tell me the climate's not changing. It's been so warm. You know, uh, I brought, I brought my coveralls to work for winter this year. I haven't had to wear, wear them once. You know, it's been so warm. So is the climate changing? Yes. But guess what? The climate has always changed. You go back hundreds of years and look at the history and you'd have, you know, this century would be hot. And then another 100 years would be cold. And another 150 years would be hot again. And it just goes through cycles and cycles. And the climate does change. But the question is, do we contribute to it? Are is humans 99% responsible or 1% responsible? I think we're 1% responsible. How in the world do we think we have the ability to, you know, to, uh, to con- uh, affect the world? Everybody gets so, uh-oh, carbon dioxide. It's a greenhouse gas. You should know carbon's a building block of life. You can't have life without carbon. And I thought it was interesting that, that, you know, President Trump, he signed this, he joined in on this initiative to plant a trillion trees. Now, if you don't like carbon dioxide, that's what you need to do. Trees are carbon sponges. They soak up that carbon, okay? So I think that's a good thing, thing to do. We should be good stewards of what God has given us, but that's, that's my two cents there for you. But, you know, people just get so bent out of shape about the end of the world. And I'm like, if the end of the world means Jesus is coming back, bring it on. So after telling us that this is the end of all things and that this, this, Peter's telling us that this world system of nature is coming to an end. The system that me and you are living in, it's ending. So as that world system is going out, The kingdom of Jesus Christ is being ushered in. Okay, So the world system is fading out. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is is about to come into place. And he's preparing us for that kingdom. This is how you should act now that the kingdom of Christ is coming. The return of Jesus, it is imminent. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years from now. It could be when you have great grandchildren, but it is imminent. We get closer and closer to it every day. And as the world system goes out and the new system comes in, he gives us a list of how we should act. And that list begins here in verse number seven. We'll start the list this Sunday. We'll finish it next Sunday. But here in verse 7 it says, Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now what does that word sober mean? That word sober mean, it means serious. It means, it's kind of it comes from the word sober-minded. Okay? Um, I don't think I have ever preached and told anybody to be serious in their prayers. I don't think I've ever, I've ever said that. But the law, the, 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 the Lord saw fit to put this in the scripture. Um, I mean, in other places in the Bible, we're told to pray in the spirit. We're told to pray fervently. We're told to pray without ceasing. We're told to pray in everything. We're told to pray in thankfulness. But here, here I'm told to be sober when I pray. Now, uh, last week or three verses ago, we talked, we, we talked about drunkenness. We talked about God told us not to be drunk. God spoke very harshly against drunkenness. And now here, he's telling us to be sober-minded or be sober when we pray. Now, that does not just mean don't pray when you're drunk. Okay, that's not, that's, that's not what he means here. But instead, what it means is, when you pray, have a clear mind. When you pray, have a clear thought process. When you pray, be rational while you're praying. You know, this is really interesting, and this brings up, you know, a couple of questions to my mind. One question that comes to my mind is, you know, should I pray when I'm super sleepy? Can I have a clear mind and a clear thought process and be rational when I'm half asleep? Have you ever done that, just laying in bed? Oh, I forgot to pray. <sighs> Dear Lord, I praying that you just... <sighs> and just you know, fall asleep praying. You ever do that? And, uh, you, know, um, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that. You need to, have a, you need to be sober-minded when you pray. You know what I think this also is an attack on? Is This is an attack on repetitious prayers. An attack on repetitious prayers. I want you to hold your place in 1 Peter and turn to Matthew 6. We're going to go through a lot of verses in Matthew 6. I'll read verse 7 and I'll meet up with you in verse 8. Matthew 6. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7. But when ye pray... Um, Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Okay, so um, don't, don't use vain or empty repetitions like the heathen do, because what do they think? They think that if they say something over and over and over and over and over again, they'll be heard. And Jesus completely rebukes this. I years ago, my sister was going to a church in Michigan, and she invited me to go to her church with her when I was visiting. So I said, okay. So I went. Instead of a Sunday school hour, they had a worship hour. And so we went for worship hour, and okay, I'm in the church. All right, we're here. So the band gets up, and the band starts playing, and they play this song. Okay, it's a cool song. And they play two lines of the song, and they play those two lines again. And they play him again, and they play him over and over and over and over again. And, you know, I, this just repeated over and over and over and over again. And, you know, we even I, I, we have a worship song back there on the computer like that. Our God is an awesome God. And, you know, I like that song. But that song back there on the computer, it goes three or four minutes. They did this for 20 minutes. For 20 minutes, they repeated the same lines over and over and over and over. It's not like they sang a whole song over. They repeated two lines over and over and over for 20 minutes. And when after 20 minutes, I guess they got tired of that song. They switched to another song. They did it again for another 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, they did it again. In an hour, they sang three songs and repeated repeated a few lines over and over and over. And to me, that falls into vain repetitions. Okay, I don't have to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over for God to get it. He's a little smarter than that. He's a little, he's a little quicker than that. You know, so that, to me, that goes into vain repetitions in, in my book. But you know, there, there was a movement not too long ago that was called spiritual formality. And what spiritual formality was is what they were trying to do is take all these elements from these other religions like elements from Hinduism and, and elements from, from Buddhists and incorporate that into Christianity. And what they would do is they would sit down and little uh, Christians now would sit down in little rock gardens, Indian style, um, um. and you know meditate and they would, they would uh, chant over and over and over these chants trying to bring in these elements from these from these other religions and that's not biblical my bible says don't be like the heathen i don't have to adopt pagan practices into my christianity to worship god i don't have to do that now vain repetitions it does not mean that you don't pray for stuff regularly We all have regular things that we pray for every time we pray. That's fine. That's not vain repetitions. Okay? We all have those things that we pray for over and over on a regular basis. Just make sure they're not vain. Make sure they're not pointless. Make sure they're not empty. You're not just saying words, but you mean what you say. Matthew 6, 8, verse 8. Be not there be not ye therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him Caleb wants something from mom maybe she's on the phone and she can't answer him right away and he goes mom 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 mama mama mommy Mommy, and after a few minutes, that gets a little old. We want to smack him. And, uh, or it'd just be like, I come back during a Wednesday night, and I come to Brother Marcus. Brother Marcus, I need coffee. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it'd get a little annoying after a while. If it's annoying to us, how annoying do you think it is to God? Um, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, it's it's funny. We talked about vain repetitions, but then he goes on to give us a prayer that's vain, vainlessly re- repeated. You know, this this prayer is often vainly is used vainly and repetitiously, you know, uh, but 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 I don't. That's true. But at the same time, I don't want to down the Lord's prayer. OK, the Lord's Prayer, it can also be used intently and it can be used meaningfully. OK, um, well, we don't need to say, you know, don't say the Lord's Prayer because it's vain repetition. No, vain repetition is vain repetition. Meaningful repetition is meaningful repetition. Verse 10, let's just read the whole thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If God is telling us to pray sober, then that means when Jesus prays, he's praying sober-minded, does it not? So let's see how a sober-minded person prays. Okay? Okay. So he said, first he says, so after this manner, he is not telling us to repeat the Lord's prayer all the time, just to repeat it. There are, when, when, look, if you get it in your heart that you want to repeat the Lord's prayer because it means something to you and it moves you, bless God, repeat that prayer. But if you show up at a meeting and repeat it just because that's what you do when you come to the meeting, that's vain repetitions. Oh, we're here. It's time. It's time for it. Let's say the Lord's prayer. That's vain. And he's not telling us to say this prayer over and over. He's giving us a pattern. He's giving us a pattern. Jesus is teaching them how to pray. This is how you pray. First, he says, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? That means we have a holy creator. We have a holy Creator, and a sober-minded person uh, 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 has a prayer and prays like, "Look, I know that there is a holy God in heaven, and I am approaching a holy God when I pray. I am in awe of the fact that He is awesome, and He deserves all the glo- He deserves to be glorified. He is a holy, mighty God. So maybe." We shouldn't approach God like we're talking to a buddy. Hey, bro, what's up? What's happening, dog? Let me tell you what I need. Maybe we shouldn't approach God like that. We need to approach Him like He's holy. I I'm, I keep saying this is crefle Dollar. I have to preface this. I don't. I think it's Creflo Dollar. It might be someone else. But I heard a preacher say one time, when you pray, you need to command God. You need to command God, demand things from God. Who? No, I serve a holy God, not someone that's under my authority. I am under his authority. I am subservient to him. You can command God, but this redneck ain't going to do it. Okay. You know what else I want you to notice? I want you to notice that he's my father in heaven. Sometimes we think people think maybe God is just so out so far out there that he's unattainable. But I want you to understand this morning that he's not. He's close because he is your father and you are his child. That's how close your relationship is. And then he says, this is how a sober minded person prays. And then I pray for his kingdom and his will to be done. Prayer is not about accomplishing my will. Prayer is about accomplishing his will in me and his will in those around me. Prayer is less about me getting what I want and more about God getting what he wants. When prayer is all about you, it's not a sober prayer. But when your prayer is all about God getting what he wants out of you, And out of those around you, that's a sober prayer. That's a sober prayer. You know why? Because prayer is about submission to his will. Not thy will, but my will. Some people have a problem with praying for healing and then said, I pray for healing, but thy will be done. Oh, you're saying that because you don't believe you can be healed. No, I'm emulating Jesus Christ. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will. Okay, I believe that Jesus can heal me, He can heal anything, He can do anything. but you know what that when we say we want His will and not ours, what if we ask for something that's not in His will? Well, then we need to have the attitude, Lord, if I ever ask you for anything that you don't want me to have, do not answer that prayer. Do not answer that prayer because I don't want my will. I want thy will. First, John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. <clears throat> find a way in your prayer to make it about God. When you pray for something, find a way to make it about his will. Next, it says, give us this day our daily bread. So, you know what? So here you're not just asking for what you want. You're asking for what you need. What do I need? I need to eat every day. I need to get to work. I need to get to work safely. Now, when it comes to God's will... Lord, I want grand, mighty, wonderful things. All the power that you have into furthering your will. I want the grandest, most majestic thing for your will. But when I pray for myself, just give me my daily needs. Just give me the bare minimum. Just the bare necessities. All that's all. But you know. I want grand, mighty things for his will. but When it comes to me, Lord, I don't want to become materialistic. I don't want something big, grand for me. Just give me what I need to survive. Give me food, give me money, give me clothes, give me deodorant for other people around me. But just give me what I need, okay? Save all the grand, mighty, wonderful stuff for God's will. And just give me what I need. Prayer is not a place for greed. Prayer is a place for need. And then he says, "Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors." So first is is so, Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive me. Talk about what we need. You know what our greatest need is is God's grace. God's grace is my greater need. I have no other need every day than the incredible constant grace of Jesus Christ. And as a sinner, I need His constant grace and I need His constant mercy. I need a a, a constant supply of His grace. People don't realize that we have access to this constant grace. That's why when we mess up and fail, We don't talk to God for a week. But if we realized, man, yeah, I've messed up and yeah, I failed him, but I don't need to be ashamed because his grace is everlasting. His grace is inexhaustible. And when you fail God, don't don't run away from God ashamed. You can come boldly to His throne because He has grace to help you in your time of need. He has an inexhaustible supply of grace. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter how deep you feel your sin, you can feel grace deeper. Right. Romans 5.20, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know why, you know why you can't, you, let me put it another way. You can't out sin God's grace. Cannot do it. You cannot out-sin God's grace. But but then he goes on, he says, as we forgive our debtors. You know, I think a sober-minded person that prays, he doesn't come with grudges against other people. He doesn't come with grudges. God will not let us get away with spiritual darkness in our hearts. And he tells us, if you won't forgive your brother and you won't forgive your sister, you're not right with me. You're not right with me if you won't forgive them. I gave you grace when you didn't deserve it. You should extend grace to them even though they don't deserve it. God says, I am making my relationship. I'm, I'm making your relationship about, with them about my relationship about me with, with me. God says, I'm making your relationship with them about your relationship with me. Bitterness against another person will spoil your relationship with God, will spoil your relationship with God. Like I said, the point is, I am forgiven. If he can give grace to me, I need to give grace to other people. And and the second thing we're told is to be watchful, is to be watchful. You know, when I hear watchful in the Bible, I I can't help but think about a a watchman on a wall. Man, when when Brother James is here, you know, he's like the watchman and the door opens, he looks back there to see what's going on. When creepers come up and look through this window, people can look back and still Brother James watching. But you know, um, he watches for trouble. So how can I be watchful in my prayers? How can I, how can me and you be watchful? So we're watching the news or we're scrolling through Facebook and we see something, we hear the story about this family that lost six or seven members, a mom and six kids. We hear that and man, man that's, that's horrible. And our antennas go up. Maybe every time your antennas go up, you should pray. Every time your antennas go up, You should pray. You're talking and having a conversation with somebody and and they give you a need and your antennas go up. At the end of that conversation, you say, you know what? Let me pray for you before we leave. Every time your antennas go up, pray. That's being watchful. Every time the spirit hits you, every time you feel that need, wherever the need is, pray for it. What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter? Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat, but it's okay, Peter. I prayed for you. Be watchful. Verse 8, and above all things, fervently charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Of course, charity is love. Above all else, on top of everything you've got going on, love one another. You know what fervent means fervent means intense love it means sincere love it's it's more than hey I love you bro I love you bro oh yeah it's more than that it means I have purposely and intently turned my heart towards you I have opened my heart towards another person that's what it means in everything that you do love should be at the forefront but it's something interesting here then it says... That love shall cover the multitude of sins? This is huge. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. You have sensed in your life that you were entirely dependent upon grace. Every day, every hour, I need grace. I need the every hour. I need that grace all the time. And I feel like that if I don't have that constant supply of grace, I will fall. But you realize the same amount of grace you need is the same amount of grace other people need. And sometimes you are the conduit through which God's grace can fall flow I need to give constant grace to others it is impossible to have a long-term relationship with another human being and them not hurt you except for God except for God it's impossible for you to have a long-term relationship with anybody without them hurting you why because they are sinners too I have to extend constant grace Because that love will cover a multitude of sins. And how is this love expressed? By forgiving the offenses that they commit against me. That is extending grace and love to them. Maybe somebody hurt my feelings. Maybe somebody looked at me funny. Maybe somebody embarrassed me in public. Maybe they contradicted me. Those things sound small, but when you experience them, they're not small. They're pretty large. But love will cover so many things. Just give constant grace the way that Jesus does. Jesus showed grace to you, someone who didn't deserve it. So me and you can show grace to others who don't deserve it. And then number nine, use hospitality one to another without grudging. You know what? What hospitality is the idea? It's the idea of sharing. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. That's kind of the idea of hospitality. You know, usually you're hospitable to strangers, okay? Um, But here it says to be hospitable one to another. You know, that's interesting because I find that the most, that the people that we're the most hospitable towards are, are strangers, a stranger will come into my house. Hey, do you want something to eat? Do you want something to drink? Can I get you something? Let's let's eat on the good china today. Uh, is is the temperature okay for you? Here, pet my cat. We'll just do anything for him. Okay? We'll just bend over backwards for him. But my wife asked me to get asked me to get to her something from the kitchen. I'm like, oh, I'm too comfortable. I don't want to move. I don't want to move. You know. And so, you know, you're not hospitable to, the per, you know, to people we're close to because the hospitality disappears the closer you get to somebody. Well, to get up exactly. But the idea here is that I want to show hospitality to someone I'm close to the same way I would show to a stranger. Let me ask you a question. Do you go out of the way for people for no other reason than to go out of the way for them? But then it says to do it without grudging. Do it without grudging. That the grudging is the grumbling and the complaining and the quarreling. We can undo the hospitality that we just did by grumbling about it, by complaining about it. You just undid the hospitality, you just did. You get up and you get something from somebody and you give it to them and then you turn around and you say under your breath, lazy bum, you know? What you did, you just undid the hospitality that you did. And look, that grudging isn't going to hurt. They didn't hear you. The grudging isn't going to hurt them. That's going to hurt you. Second Corinthians 9, 7, For God loveth a cheerful giver. Not just a giver. God loveth a cheerful giver. There are plenty of people that give uh, that aren't cheerful. They're not cheerful when they give, give stuff to you. So you ever, you ever we borrow money from a family member or maybe a mom or dad. You go borrow money from them and you got to get ready for that uh, lecture that comes along with it. Oh, is it worth it? Do I need that money that bad? I just popped in my head. That's why he said hospitable without complaining, without grudging, because he knows that this is an issue that we have. If you can't give without complaining to those you gave to, or how much you gave to them, or how they used the thing that you gave them. You all have that family member that you, they gave the picture to you, the picture. And uh, when they come over, they're looking around for it, see if you're using it. You got that picture that I, that I gave you? I want to make sure you're taking care of it. So when they come, you take it out, you take it out of the box, you set it on the counter. Hey, look, yeah, there's your picture. And then they leave, you, you put it back up. But, you know, we, we, we've all got that family member that does that. But you know what? If you can't give to somebody without holding a grudge against them, you have a sin issue in your life. You have a sin issue. And what you need to do is say, Lord, help me have a better attitude about this thing. Because at the end of the day, they answer to God. They don't answer to you. So what do me you need to go do? Let it go. Just let it go. Okay, you know this scripture is cool this morning because it's, it's 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 cool how we can start out with deep theology about paradise and hell and heaven and Jesus preaching to those in the center of the earth and we can end on let's be nice to people without complaining about it, you know. But that's that's the scope of scripture. And First Peter has it all, from deep theology to heart piercing truths, just down to the practical stuff. So hopefully this morning, the Lord has spoke to you.